You know, the title of my sermon this morning is simply Forgiveness, Character. It's a mere image. And my text is the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 15 to 21. It's also Genesis 45, verse 7. They've been printed in the New King James in your handouts. And, you know, I, I, there's another handout that will be given to you as you leave. And I specifically didn't want you to have it before we started because I didn't want you to forget it on your seats. I want you to take it home. So the ushers will pass out an additional handout. Just so you know, we failed to note the authorship. It is actually Alistair Began, who is, uh, it's an insert from his books, and uh, that's who is the author of that, what I consider to be a good piece for you. So follow with me as I walk through Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I take a lot of stock in that psalm because it matters not what the valuation of my sermons are to anybody else as long as God approves of them and finds it appropriate. Amen? You know, from the time you were born, you immediately began to interact with other people. You grew up in a family. You, you go to school. You play on a team. You join a club. And then you grew up and you began to get into business and you begin to raise your own family. And in life, you will discover there are two situations that you cannot avoid. It's a situation that befalls all of us, no matter how good a person you may be, no matter how hard you try, no matter how nice you are, you will be in one of these situations. You will need to be forgiving or you will need to be forgiven. Now, we are in a sermon which we are calling Mirror Image. It's about character. We're talking about those virtues that make up the kind of character that we all ought to have and that God wants us to have. Now, perhaps forgiveness demands more character than we even realize. Have you ever been hurt, mistreated, Disappointed? Right now, I want you to think of the person or the persons who have hurt you the most, mistreated you the worst, disappointed you the greatest. And then, one of of two things is true about you right now. Either you have totally and truly forgiven that person or those persons, or you have not. If you have... And if you are honest, it may have been the hardest thing you ever have done. And if you haven't, it could be because it's hard. Harder than you think it would be. You know, one of the reasons why the Bible is so valuable is because it gives us real-life examples and shows people who really faced hurt and heartache just like we do. But rather than becoming victims... They show us how to become victors. 
Rather than sinking into the quicksand of bitterness, or they are somehow are able to get onto the oasis of forgiveness. And the poster child of forgiveness is a man named Joseph. Most of you know his story, but if you don't know his story, I'm going to give you a Wikipedia view. To say that he grew up in a dysfunctional family would be somewhat of a gross understatement. You know, if his family were alive today, you would never have heard of the Kardashians. His dad fathered 13 children by four different mothers. Two were wives and two were mistresses. And Joseph had 11 brothers and one sister, and 10 of the 11 brothers hated his guts. They were all actually half-brothers. And if you have ever experienced rival, rival sibling rivalry, then you know how life probably was in Joseph's household. His mother was his father's favorite woman. And Joseph was the, was the favorite son of the favorite woman. And eventually, Joseph became the favorite son. And his brothers grew to absolutely hate him so much that they hatched up a scheme to kill him. Well, while being away from his father, they put him into a pit and to leave him for dead, for death. Only the older brother persuaded them not to and to just let him live. And so they sold them to human traffickers who then paid them 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph is taken away from his family at age 17, never, he thought, to ever see his father again. And then Murphy's Law kicks in for Joseph. And things get worse. He becomes a slave on a plantation for 11 years. When he refuses to sleep with his master's wife, his master falsely, she, she falsely accuses him of rape, and his master has him thrown in prison for something he didn't do. And so because of his brothers, Joseph has gone from the pit to the plantation to the prison, and he hasn't done one thing wrong. But the story has a great ending, doesn't it, for some of you that know. He eventually becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and in a series of events, the narrative goes full circle, and now his brothers are at his mercy. He can do anything he wants to them. And in the eyes of most people, in the eyes of the law, he would be justified. But Joseph doesn't do what many consider normal or even expected. Instead, he forgives, and he shows us not just to forgive, but why we should forgive. He did it by taking a wide-angled view of the situation. And anyone that knows photography knows that one of the staples of a photographer's kit is a wide-angle lens. A wide-angle lens is any lens with a short focal length, but a wide panoramic view, a wide field of view. It allows the camera to capture a much wider scene than is normal for most lenses. Well, when Joseph took a wide-angle view of his life, forgiveness was not the only option, but it was the best option. And how did Joseph keep from being burned by the fire of bitterness, avoid drowning in the sea of bitterness, becoming immune to the poison of bitterness? It's because he refused to do four things. 
That even though they are stated negatively, it will bring positive results for you if you also will refuse to do them as well. First in your outline, never take the place of God. And we pick up the story in our text, verse 15, which states, When Joseph saw their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Now at this time, Joseph has been reunited with his brothers and his father, and they've lived together for 17 years. Joseph has forgiven his brothers already, and he has treated them with kindness. But now his dad dies. And although Joseph has already forgiven them, told them he has forgiven them, and showed them he has forgiven them, they're not convinced. They doubt it. See, they had convinced themselves that the only thing holding Joseph back from even getting even was dear old dad. But now he's gone. The real problem is they were still feeling guilty over what they had done to Joseph, even though they had been forgiven. And there's a great lesson here for us about guilt. There are two types of guilts. Legitimate guilt is when you have not asked for forgiveness. And illegitimate guilt is when you have not accepted forgiveness. One of the reasons why they had never accepted or experienced forgiveness is because they had never asked for forgiveness to begin with. For the first time, they do what they should have done 17 years ago and confessed. Look at verses 16 and 17 of our text, which states, So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. The brothers are so fearful and desperate that they make up a story about their dad leaving word for Joseph to forgive them. His brothers are still lying and, con and, and conniving, trying to save their own skin. And Joseph breaks down weeping because he realized that his brothers did not believe him. Even though he had extended forgiveness, they had not experienced forgiveness. Well, the good thing is the brothers are now giving a real confession. You know, there are four words in the Old Testament for sin, and, they, and they've used three of them here. In verse 17, they've, they've listed trespass, sin, and evil. In other words, they have emptied their clip. They have finally given a full, faithful, and final confession and total truthful admission of what they had done. And now they're saying that they are truly sorry and want to be forgiven. They have been in a prison of guilt for 17 years and living under the shadow of guilt and fear when they should have been enjoying the sunshine of grace and forgiveness. And they're beginning to learn that the key that unlocks the door to the prison of guilt is the key of confession. Now we are introduced to Joseph's amazing response. Our text, verses 18 and 19, reads, 
Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph understood something about forgiveness that you need to understand. God is like us, in that he has to forgive others who do wrong to him. He is continuously in the position of the forgiver, but he is unlike us in that he never needs to be forgiven like we do. And the simple reason why we always need to forgive others and we must forgive others is because we are not God and we need forgiveness. Joseph has no desire to play God and he's not going to take the place of God. By the way, you never have to fear being wronged by a person who is right with God. If you are right with God and you keep God in his place, you will keep you in your place. And so what Joseph is saying here is, I may be the prime minister of Egypt, but God is the preeminent master of the universe. Since sometimes I need forgiveness, then I must always be willing to give forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You can forgive You must forgive when you remember that just as God has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. Second in your outline, never forget the providence of God. Now Joseph is just now getting warmed up. He's just getting started. And with this wide-angle lens view, he is about to give us a theological truth that once you truly believe it, will permanently change your behavior forever. And the reason Joseph is able to behave the right way in this situation is because he believed the right thing. Remember, belief always determines behavior. What Joseph is about to say about his life is true about your life. And he said this in verse 20, verse 20a, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now the first thing that Joseph does is acknowledge that his brothers had done him wrong. He didn't sugarcoat it for what they did. He didn't overlook it. He hit it head on. When people hurt you, mistreat you, disappoint you, throw you under the bus, the first step to forgiving them is to acknowledge that they have. But you have to remember, when it seems like everything is out of control, God is in control. Behind everything that happens to you, even the bad, the evil, the horrible, God intends it ultimately for your good. It's obvious that God could have prevented his brothers from throwing Joseph into the pit. God could have prevented Joseph from being sold into slavery. God could have prevented Joseph from being falsely accused. He could have prevented Joseph from being thrown into prison. But what his brothers, a scorned woman and a gullible master intended for evil, God intended for good. In fact, there is an order in this verse that you have to keep in mind. And that is the wide-angle view of all the bad things that have ever happened to you in this life. Listen to it again. 
Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do you see it? Evil, God, good. Evil plus God equals good. Those three words sum up the providence of God. God's providence is working in your life and the entire universe where everything is for your good and his glory. Have you heard the saying, the devil is in the details? But that's not true. God is in the details. God never has to say, well, that wasn't in the script. With God, everything is in the script. You know, in the movie of your life, there's going to be valleys and deserts, best times and good times, good and evil. But when the movie ends, it will all have worked out for your good. See, Joseph was not sold into slavery, put on a plantation or thrown into prison because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because the providence of God tells us that he was in the right place at the right time. Do you understand what all that means? It means there is no such thing as luck. I actually hate that word. We call someone a lucky dog. We wish people luck. We talk about lady luck, tough luck, good luck, bad luck, rotten luck. People thank their lucky stars and they love that cereal, Lucky Charms. If you think every event in life is random, listen, nothing is up to chance. Everything is up to God. Now, when I was growing up, one of the things that was real popular with kids was to have a rabbit's foot. You would see a rabbit's foot hanging from a rearview mirror. I used to want one until the day it hit me, this was a rabbit that was so unlucky He couldn't even keep his foot. (laughs) You know, we learned from Joseph that he had not gotten to be the prime minister of Egypt because of luck or through his resume or because of the people that he knew or because of his influence or because of his politics. It was because of the providence of God. Remember, all the bad things that happen to you and all the bad people that do them With the providence of God, God will use them in what they do for your good. Third, never doubt the plan of God. I want you to consider the next part of this verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, verse 20b, in order, in order to bring it about as it is this day. What exactly is being accomplished? God's plan. God has a plan for everything and everyone, and everything and everyone is in his plan. The plan will always accomplish what is your good and for his glory. You know, my wife is not only the most wonderful person that I've ever experienced, the sweetest person I have ever known, but she's also a fantastic baker. She makes some of the best cakes you'll ever put in your mouth. And it hits me one day that every cake she's ever baked is simply the result of a plan. A recipe is a plan. 
When I look at all the individual ingredients that she lays out, the butter, the sugar, the flour, the eggs, she doesn't ask me to eat each one of those individually. By themselves, they would taste bad. But when she mixes those ingredients together according to her plan, my, my, that is good. Each one of those by themselves might be bad for you. But when they're mixed into the plan, it's not just good, it is great. And there are two things Joseph says to his brothers that you need to write down over everything that happens to you, especially the bad things. And that is, but God. This all started when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Things looked bad, but God had a plan Joseph says to his brothers, you sold me, but God sent me. Those two words, but God, changed everything. Their plan was to eliminate Joseph, but God's plan was to elevate Joseph. Their plan was to lower Joseph into a pit, but God's plan was to lift him unto a throne. Their plan was to desert Joseph, but God's plan was to deliver Joseph. That is why Joseph could say with 100% confidence, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I don't know what you have gone through in your life or what you're going through right now. I don't know how unfairly you have been treated or are being treated or how unjust your circumstances have been or are now or how you've been dealt such a bad hand or being dealt a bad hand now, whatever else you think, I'm going to tell you what I do know, that whatever else you hear, God is saying to you right now, everything is going according to plan. But let me be clear. This verse does not say that all things that happened to Joseph were good. And all the things that may be happening to you are good. His kidnapping wasn't good. His enslavement wasn't good. His imprisonment wasn't good. And what you're going through right now may not be good. But what is guaranteed is God will take all of the bad and all of the evil and turn it into good because that is God's plan for all of his children. So when somebody throws you under the bus, leaves you holding the bag, gives you the short end of the stick, or leaves you high and dry, the plan of God is always to use it to accomplish his plan. And I want you to remember this. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than the plan you have for you. And it doesn't happen by coincidence. It happens by providence. And providence guarantees that everything will happen and go according to God's plan. Now lastly, in your outline, never question the purpose of God. I want you to listen to the rest of this verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day. Now verse 20c, to save many people alive. To save many people alive. God doesn't play games with your life. God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for every life. He has a purpose for everything. And Joseph didn't know it, 
But the purpose of everything that happened to Joseph was so that God could place Joseph in a place where he could be a savior for his people. And he was not just to be a savior for his people, but so that his people could bring a savior into the world. Every plan has a purpose, and every, behind every plan there is God's purpose. And you need to understand something about God's plan for your life. He didn't draw it up last night. He doesn't make it up on the fly. He doesn't have to improvise or adjust. God's plan for you and me are wrapped around the purpose that he has, not just for you and me, but for the entire world. God's plan is in accordance with God's purpose. There is a method to God's madness. God has a purpose in everything that he does. Not only has a plan that he wants to achieve, but he has got a purpose that he seeks to accomplish. God doesn't react when things go wrong in your life. God doesn't react to anything. God acts before everything. God providentially funnels everything that happens to you and me into the container of his plan so that at the end of the day, his purpose is accomplished. You know, it took Joseph 23 years to finally understand what the purpose was, which was the saving of many lives. What lives was he referring to? Who needed to be saved? Earlier he said to his brothers in Genesis 45, 7, And God sent me before you to preserve a a posterity for you on earth. Other translations put it this way. And God sent me before you to preserve a remnant for you on earth and save your lives by great deliverance. A great deliverance. Listen, Joseph wasn't just called to save a family. He was called to save a family who would become a nation that would send a savior into the world. So if the brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery, he doesn't go to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Egypt, there would be no Israel. If there is no Israel, there is no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there is no salvation for the entire world. Now, Joseph did not know that one day a famine would come that could destroy his family. But God did. Joseph didn't know that being in prison would lead him to the palace and put him in a position of such power he could literally save a nation. But God did. Joseph didn't know that God had to send him to Egypt to ultimately save his family that would give birth to the nation of Israel from which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would come. But God did. And when you rewind the tape, you see that God had a purpose in the pit, had a purpose for the plantation, had a purpose for the prison. It was all so that Joseph could be put into a palace where he would have the power and the position to save a family, a nation, and the world. And every time Joseph was put where he didn't want to be, he was right where God wanted him to be. Because God had a bigger purpose in mind. Because God takes every bad thing that happens to us and every evil deed that is done to us to accomplish his purpose, which is ultimately good for us and for his glory. And that's why Joseph lovingly and honestly could say to his brothers, verse 21, Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And that is when you know you have really forgiven someone. 
Forgiveness is not just in words that are spoken, but action that is taken. Forgiveness is not just said, it is shown. You know, only the water of forgiveness can quench the fire of bitterness. And when Joseph's first son was born, he named him Manasseh, which literally means to forget. And that is exactly what Joseph did. He didn't hold a grudge and he didn't look back. He was a doctor who healed himself because he didn't take the place of God. He didn't forget the providence of God. He didn't doubt the plan of God. And he didn't question the purpose of God. Now listen, that God that was controlling every event in Joseph's life is still sitting on the throne of the universe and he's still over the circumstances of your life. Yes, He will allow evil in your life. He will allow evil to be done to you, and he promises that he will make it good, though. The God in you is bigger than the God that is... uh, The God in you is bigger than the evil that is around us. You know, our job is to forgive what others do to us. God's job is to providentially fit what others do to us into his plan and purpose for our good and his glory. By the way, I suspect that he has a 100% success rate. In case you doubt this, let me remind you that God took the greatest evil that anyone has ever done to anyone in history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he turned it into the greatest good of all, which is the salvation of all who accept him. Amen? This morning, I... This morning, I'm going to declare an altar call. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come and join us and kind of help us with this altar call, if you will. I just felt that we should seek the presence of God. There's so much for us to do as we examine ourselves. We, some of us need to repent. Others need to just appreciate their blessings. Some of us need forgiveness, and some of us need to extend forgiveness. But most of all, we need to seek his presence. We need to seek his counsel. Now, altar calls have no no time frame. So spend as much time as you'd like. But as we are approaching the altar, I know that some of you feel you have to leave. And because some will be leaving, I want to make sure the ushers hand out those takeaway handouts. But I'm going to close the service for those that have to leave. And as you go, I want you to consider those who are in conflict with you. Don't say, well, they started it. They caused it. It's their fault. Consider the wide-angle lens view. Look to your involvement. Consider their viewpoint. Seek forgiveness. And I think forgiveness will flow much easier between you. Now what they do is on them. You take the Christ-like approach and be blessed. So please leave quietly as you, if you're leaving. Those of you can approach the altar or be right in your seats. I'm going to see everyone next week. Nenegrift, 1030. Don't forget and bring a crowd. Amen. <laughs>